As we come to the scripture now, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me, Father. Um, again, uh, you are our good shepherd. You're the one who leads us in paths of righteousness. And we know that you do that by way of your word, that you teach us, that you make us wise as we read and as your spirit works within us to renew us, to renew our minds. We may learn to think your thoughts after you. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It enables us to know where we're going as we follow you. So please, I pray now, um, Holy Spirit, to work in such a way that the words on this, this, the page here um, is known to us as it really is, as the very word of God. Work it in us, I pray, that we might live to follow you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Ephesians and uh, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read again the verses I read last Sunday, 15 through um, 21. Ephesians chapter 5, please. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, these verses... The apostle's pulling together what he's been saying to us and he's setting us up for what he's going to say. So there's a sense in which it's a bit of a climax into what he's been speaking to us about, uh, but it's, it's also a, a summary and a, an introduction, if you will, uh, to, what is, to what is to come. He's teaching us, we know, in, in this section of this letter on how we're to live. His point is that something's happened to us. And the evidence that something has happened to us is that we believe that we've repented and we trust in our Lord Jesus. And we realize then that something has changed in us. Something has called us, has led us, if you will, to faith in Jesus, to admit our sins and to trust that by way of his cross, he dealt with the guilt of our sin and even now his given us new life as he lives. And so here we are. And so he says, now now we're to live in a way that's consistent with that. So he says in chapter four, verse one, that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We've been called by God to, to be members of his household, to be citizens of his kingdom, to be his temple, his very dwelling place, individually and all of us as believers together. And so we're to live in that unity, even as we live out this life of purity and holiness uh, before him. And he's laid out for us in in chapter 4, especially in those latter verses as we spend some time there, um, telling us how we're 
ought to live. You remember in verses uh, 25 to um, well, the end of the chapter there, he tells us that we're to uh, put away falsehood and speak truth, that we're uh, in our anger, we're not to sin, you see, and uh, we're not to steal, but rather we're to work so that we can give out of what is ours. We're not to um, uh, allow any corrupting talk to come out of our mouths, but only that which is good, that gives grace to those who hear. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So that means that we're to get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, but yet, but, but rather be kind to each other, tenderhearted, to forgive each other as we've been forgiven by God through our Lord Jesus. He summarizes that by saying that it simply means we're to be imitators of God, that we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He tells us we were to live lives in sexual purity, um, and we're to be thankful for how God leads us, for how God defines us, for how God directs us. We're to be thankful for how he's created us, male and female. And we're to be thankful for that. And we're to be then light, not darkness. So, so that's how he lays it out for us. And so in summary then, he says, now, be careful. How you walk. Not timid, not afraid. It doesn't mean that. But it means be watchful. Look out. See life as it really is. He says, now the days you know are evil. That though Christ has come, still evil exists. And he says, so don't get sucked back in. Don't get sucked back into the evil that exists in the world. To live, live carefully. Be able to, to really see it. And we, we know there are temptations. You remember when Jesus uh, spoke that uh, marvelous parable. We call it the parable of the sower. I suppose it could be parable of the seed or parable of the word. We could put it like that. You can find it in Matthew 13. Uh, but uh, he, he speaks to us of, of the temptations that exist when the word comes. He says, in part, there's the temptation that comes because of, can come because of trouble, difficulties in life, causes us to turn away, or, or even um, persecution that might come. And realize, wait a minute, I, I, following Jesus means that. I don't want to go that direction. He talks about the, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches can come in and t- he says, don't allow that. Be careful. Be watchful of these things. So we're to be watchful. And he says, so, so, so we're to, to, to be wise, not unwise. We're to understand what the will of the Lord is. We're not to be foolish. We're to be filled with the Spirit a drunk with wine. You can see that the kind of formula kind of helps us to understand. He says, don't be this, but be this. Not this, but this. Not unwise, but wise. Not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not drunk with wine, but, but be filled rather, if you will. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can kind of, I trust you can keep those in your, in your head. That they stay with you in that way. It's probably why the apostle laid it out like this. Simple to understand, especially in an oral culture, which he was writing. And so we, we talked about we're not to live as, as those who are unwise, but those who are wise, those who, who, who realize something really has happened to us because Christ has come upon us. And, and the realization of that, now, now live wisely, live like that. Don't, don't live as if that didn't happen, live as if it did happen, because it, if you're a believer in Jesus, it really did. So he says, here's how you live. You make the most of every opportunity. You make the most of every opportunity to do good. Because we've been called... As God's workmanship, he says in chapter 2. We've been called as God's workmanship to, 
to do those good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he set us up uh, uh, in this salvation so that we can do that, which is good. And so he says, now, make use of every opportunity. The days are evil, so you make every opportunity, uh, use of every, every chance you get, every opportunity that comes your way to do that which is, is good. Live wisely. And now notice what he says. He says, don't be foolish, but understand uh, what the will of the Lord is. And so that's the question of the day. What is this will? And, and how do we know it? What's the will of the Lord? The Lord here is no doubt Jesus. It's his will. That's how Paul uses the expression, the, the Lord, his will. Uh, we know that the Father's will is in him is in Jesus as Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises and rules and reigns and returns and all of that. So there's clearly the same will, same unity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Um, so what is, in fact, the Lord's will? Uh, this expression that we understand what the will of the Lord is follows very logically by living wisely. In other words, if we're going to live wisely, as you remember, it isn't just having information, it isn't just knowledge, but the wise person knows how to use that knowledge. The wise person is one who knows what the best end is and knows the best way to get there. So as we said, wisdom is always moral because we're talking about what is best, what we ought to do, if you will. And so this wisdom, you see, is, is, is knowing the best end. Where are we really headed? So to be wise, we really need to understand the end of it all. We need to understand where this is going, and we need to understand then how to get there. If we don't understand where this is going, we'll never know how to get there. We'll never really be able to follow a path to this good end, if you will. And that's why it's necessary for us to understand the will of the Lord. What's he doing? What's he doing? Now, as the apostle talks about uh, the will of the Lord throughout this, this letter, he really lays out a couple of aspects of it. And to, I don't want to complicate it, but it, there's a couple of aspects. One is, when we talk about the will of the Lord, the will of God, we're talking about what will happen, what he has decreed will happen, because he's God. Therefore, he's sovereign over all things. It could be difficult for us to understand at times, but, but the truth of the matter is that if he is God, then his decrees, what he decrees, what he says will happen, will happen. Right? That's just the nature of being God. That's who he is. Um, and so uh, there's some things that the apostle says. The Lord has decreed these things will come to pass. These things will happen. And it's good for us to know that, to know what the will of the Lord is, to know what the will of God is in that sense. But there's another sense in which we'll take a look at this will of the Lord. And that is to ask the question, what pleases him? What pleases him? Now, we know that that, all, that doesn't always happen. Uh, you know about it in your life. I know about it in my life. Uh, we know it about in the world in which we live. That, that the Lord lays out how we're to live by way of his precepts, we might say, or way of his commands. And we know that we can and we do disobey that. So there's really two things here that will help us as we understand the will of the Lord. What's he decreed? That is to say, what will come to pass? And then secondly, to discern what pleases him. How are we to, to live? Does that make sense? 
if it doesn't, we'll hang in there. Hope it will by the end. Uh, as we, as we continue on. You might remember back in chapter one. I don't know when we were in chapter one. I'm February, I think. Um, sorry for my slowness. But in chapter one, um, we, we read this. He says, verse nine, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is, in Jesus, in Christ, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so here he's talking about, when he talks about the mystery of his will, he said this was previously unknown, but now it's known because Christ has come. So now he says, it's known. I can make it known to you because I couldn't make it known before he did come. But now that he has come, I can make it known to you. It was a mystery. Now I'm going to reveal it. That's what mystery generally refers to in the scripture. Something that will be revealed or is revealed um, that was once unknown. So he says, here's the mystery, the mystery of, of his will, that is the Father's will, really, and what he's doing in and through Jesus. He says it's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, when he says he's going to unite it, these things in heaven and on earth, they must have been, prior to this, divided, Right? If something's going to be united, then it must have been divided so that you have something to unite. And so we get that. There was division, right? The division between human beings and God. And division amongst human beings. And so the promise here is that a day will come when... We will see things in heaven and things on earth united together, human beings and God, and human beings together with one another. Now that is the work of Christ. First, the work of Christ to reconcile human beings to God, right? He reconciles us to God by way of his cross. We are divided, we are separated from God because of our sin. Our sinfulness caused us to run from God and our sinfulness caused God to, to judge us, if you will, because of his righteousness. But Jesus unites. The cross unites. It reconciles. It reconciles us to God. As we're in faith in Jesus, then the work of the cross covers our sin, if you will. It brings forgiveness to us and changes us. So that we no longer run away from him, but rather we come to him. And he receives us. He receives us. Because our sins are forgiven in Jesus. So that reconciliation. But then there's also this work of reconciliation amongst human beings. We, we know that human beings, because of our pride and selfishness and all of that, uh, are, are, we can be separated from each other. We see it in our own lives. We've seen broken relationships in our own lives. We've seen difficult relationships in our own lives. We see it globally, of course, nation against nation. We see it race against race, ethnicity against ethnicities. We see all kinds of divisions. Well, the promise is that a day will come when 
uh, there will be all these things in heaven and earth will be united. And so what we find, the promise being that, that a day will come when the earth will be renewed and heaven will come and God will dwell among his people. Uh, we see a marvelous description of this in Revelation in chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. As John the Apostle sees this happening. Verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And, and that's the promise, you see. We, we see it now. As we're reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, as we come together as his church and, and we're reconciled together and we work that out, of course, in relationship. And as, as we join together to be one in him, he is our father, we belong to him. But we know that that day is going to come when we'll see it, when all things, heaven and earth, will be united together. And that's, that's the promise. That's the will of God. That will happen. And the Lord Jesus has won that, if you will, bought that by way of his life and death. Uh, that's this. Well, we see the same kind of thing. Uh, uh, Jesus puts it in, in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, in verse 24. This is um, the night Jesus was betrayed. He just met with his disciples, you remember. They had celebrated the Passover together. I went like this because that's where we set it up. Sorry. Uh, some of you are going, what's he doing? There's nothing there. <laughs> but uh, um, so, so Jesus, they just celebrated the Passover. Judas is gone, you know. All, everything's set up for the crucifixion. So Jesus goes out and he prays. And this prayer in John 17 is his prayer. We call it his high priestly prayer. He prays for his, himself. He prays for his disciples. He even prays for us. That is to say, he prays, as he puts it, for all those who will believe through them. That is, us, we believe through the testimony of the apostles. And at the very end, he says this, verse 24. He says, Father, I desire, that is, this is his will. This is Jesus' will. Father, I desire, they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So what Jesus is praying, he says, you know, God, when all is said and done, what my will is that these and those who believe in me will be with me. There's a sense in which that's fulfilled now. He's with us. We're with him. But there's also a sense in which it has this end result wherein he returns and he is with us and we're with him in glory. And then verse 26, I've made known to them your name and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So he desires us to be with him and he desires to know his love and, and that we'll share in his, his very life. And that's this uniting, you see. It's, it's going to happen. This is the will of our Lord that, that we're with him. Uh, one 
preacher from what century? It would have been the mid-19th, 18th century, and named Robert Murray McShane, uh, in a sermon, uh, put it like this. He said, in truth, Christ cannot lack you. What he means by that, he can't be without you as believers. He says, you are his jewels, his crown. Heaven would be no heaven to Jesus if you were not there. See? It's, it's kind of like our families aren't our families if maybe our kids aren't there or our spouse isn't there or whatever. You know, you get that sense it's just not the same. Even as our kids are older and have kids, there's something that Karen and I always say on a couple of times a year when we're all together under one very loud and messy and crazy roof. But when we go to bed at night, we go, yes. Right? Our house is finally our house again, you know? And, and there's a sense in which, because Jesus loves us and desires us, he came and gave himself for us. He bought us. He, he, he loves us. We mustn't ever miss that. We don't deserve it, but he did it. And so he desires, he says, this is, what I, this is my will, this is what I want, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to unite, we're going to be united, and day will come when you'll be in my very presence, you'll share in my glory, you'll see it, and you'll know deeply, as you know now in shadow, but you know deeply and completely the love with which I've loved you. And he says, that's, that's what I desire. So that's, that's this sense, if you will, of, of, his, of his will, of his will. And then there's another aspect of, of this will as well. If you turn to Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse um, uh, 26. Um, we're going to get to this in a few weeks. It's about husbands and wives. Spoil, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, this passage is about um, uh, marriage as a model for the relationship between Christ and the church. The church is known as the bride of Christ. That's why Paul at the end of this passage in chapter 5 says that uh, this is a profound mystery. Well, what's he revealing then? Well, he's re- revealing about the relationship between Christ and the church by way of marriage. That's why marriage is significant because it's the model of Christ and his church. But here he's talking about this. Let me just... Begin with chapter or verse twenty-five. Don't get hung up on verse twenty-five. I'll let you get hung up that hung up on that in a couple of weeks. He said, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her." Well, verse twenty-six then lays out not only how husbands are to love their wives, but particularly how Christ has loved His church, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that He might. Present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So this is what Christ, this is his will for us. His will for us is that we would be without spot or blemish. He's taken us spotted and blemished (laughs) to cleanse us so that we would be his perfect bride. So we would be his spotless bride. So we would be his dressed in white, pure bride, you see. That's his will. That is going to happen. 
It may be unimaginable to you as you think about your life now. But that's his will. He's decreed that that will happen. We will be as cleansed and spotless, spotless bride. So let's take these two things. The, the will of the Lord, if you will. How does that help us? How does understanding that help us in the lives that we live so that we would live wisely and not foolishly? Here's a couple of things. Number one, just knowing that a day will come when we'll be united with the Lord and we'll see his glory. And when we see his glory, everything that we ever have desired will be satisfied. Even desires we don't even know that we have will be satisfied. And some things that we thought were desires, we go, well, that wasn't a desire. But we'll see it at that moment in time. We live in faith. We live with the knowledge of what is to come. This is his will. This really is going to happen. So, I can live wisely, meaning that I don't need to be sucked in by even all the good things of this life. You do know that there's a great danger in abundance. We know that. As Americans, we know that. Jesus spoke of it often, which is easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle. And by that he meant a needle (laughs) with a little thing in it, a little hole where you stick some thread and you think of a camel and you go, that's never going to happen. So which is easier that or for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven? And you go, we're all rich. He says, yes, your riches won't get you into heaven. But we can get sucked in by them. But not when we have the big vision in mind. Not when we have the big glory in mind. When we think about the glory of Christ, and that's coming, and we think about what we have now, we go, this isn't isn't much to be compared at all to that. So let's not get hung up with this. And then when trouble comes, when difficulties come, and we think, how are we ever going to survive? How are we going to ever make it in life? What, 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 what we can cling to? Well, we can cling to the fact that a day will come when we'll know the glory of Christ. And so we can endure the moment because we really know what is to come. It really is coming because it's the Lord's will until bring it to pass. And not only that, we go through difficulties and we wonder, is there any, any real hope in this? Is there, is, is there any real purpose in this? And you go, yeah, yes, there, there, really is, there really is purpose in this. The Lord is sanctifying us even now. And that's what makes the passage in Romans chapter 8 so sweet to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's a, it's a uh, passage that, again, this is probably on the cross-stitch Hall of Fame, you know, that it might be the most cross-stitched verse ever in the history of, of Bible verses or, or whatever it is that calligraphy or whatever it is that people do to put them on their walls. But, and it's a good one. If you want to have one, this is it. Just, you know, I'm not into tattoos, but if you get one, this would be a good one. Um, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, what we know is that it's 
the Lord's will that we be conformed to his image. We know that. He's working at that. He's bringing that to pass. And so even in the most difficult of times, we always know there's a purpose. Now, we may not be able to see it at the moment. We may not be able to see how we're going to get there from here. But, but whatever it is, we know there's, there's a good purpose in this. And the good purpose is that the Lord is working all things together because he's sovereign over all things and he can do it. He's working all things together for our good. If we love him and are called according to his purpose, his purpose being to conform us to the image of his, to himself. The Lord Jesus, you see. Knowing that to be true, you can see that's the good purpose. And it really is a good purpose. What could be better in our lives than we be like Jesus? Now, I know at the moment you might be thinking, I'd rather have a job. <laughs> or I'd rather have better health, or I'd rather be, you know, better looking. Whatever it is that's, that's, that's a difficulty for you. Uh, but on second thought, he says, this is what I really am doing. This is my will. This is my purpose. This, I'm going to accomplish, if you're a believer in Jesus, I'm going to accomplish this in your life. So we always know that. So you see, understanding the will of the Lord enables us to live wisely, which means it enables us to maintain faith. It enables us to keep on persevering, which is the wisest way to live, continuing to trust. Now, there's another aspect of the will of God, and that's this aspect of what pleases him in our lives for us to do. Uh, we, we call this his will of his precepts or his commands. He instructs us. He tells us, this is what pleases me. Live like this, you see. And in fact, in, in um, chapter 5 and, and verse 10, um, he's speaking. Let me begin with verse 8. Uh, verse 7, it's a sentence. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Verse 8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk, live as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, these two aspects of the will of God. This is going to happen because he's decreed it. And so we can rest in that, knowing that, understanding that part of the will of the Lord enables us to live wisely. But, but there's this other thing, you see. There's this other thing that, that is kind of daily for us. What's, what's the Lord want me to do? How am I to live today? I mean, you think about the array of choices just in a particular day that we make. And we go, I'm a believer in Jesus, therefore I want to live in a way that's pleasing to him. So how do I understand now his will for my life today? And then there's the big questions like, who do I marry? By the way, if you're married, the answer to that is whoever you're married to. Okay, so I just want to settle that right now. Don't, so if you're married, the answer is clear. All right, uh, you see. Who am I to marry? Where am I to live, you see? Should I buy a house or should I rent or a car or Americans? Do I need a new phone? No. But do I, need a, do I, do I want a new phone? Perhaps. There you go. Um, all these decisions that are for us, where do I work? You know, how much money is enough to make? How do I spend my money? What's pleasing? 
what's pleasing to the Lord, as you see. And, 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 and there's a certain teaching that, that goes on generation after generation, mostly in the last hundred years or so in our country, uh, but also in other places uh, and at other times, that sort of makes discerning the will of the Lord kind of a, kind of a feeling, sort of a thing, you know? I, I, look, I look for doors to open, windows to close, I, providential happenings, feelings that I might have, impulses that I may have, words that may come into my head and all of that. And, and while it is true that the Lord can lead in extraordinary times, perhaps, for extraordinary reasons in various ways, that's not his primary way for us to understand his, his will. The primary way for us to understand his will is to know his word. That's the way he gives it to us. For us to read and to be steeped uh, in it. Uh, one theologian, a guy by the name of uh, Packer, uh, Jim Packer, J.I. Packer, puts it like this. He says, The wisdom whereby we are able to make right decisions about life's problems comes principally from soaking ourselves in the scriptures by becoming wise, by learning how God thinks. Uh, The classic text uh, that is generally referred to at this point is the one I'll refer to in Romans and chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says, first of all, in order for any of this to, to be operative in the context of your life, you need to be one who submits to the Lord, who, whose heart is such. Remember, we said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so now we, we submit ourselves and we offer our bodies, if you will, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is our worship. And then he says, So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And how is this mind renewed, first and foremost? By going to the scripture and retraining it. You might remember earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 4, in verse uh, 22, he tells us, that we're to put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then in verse 23, he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see, when we're being renewed in our minds by way of the scripture, it doesn't simply mean we're being re-educated. We are. Different information, new information. But since it's the word of God, we know that the Holy Spirit is at work. And so this new information, this new education, this new understanding, you see, is renewing us in our minds and in the spirit of our minds. You know, our minds have a spirit, have an attitude. Um, John Piper says that there's an attitude of selfishness and self-centeredness. And so when we're being renewed in the spirit of our minds, we're learning about who God is. Learning about his glory and his greatness, you see. And that transforms us in the spirit of our minds. We begin to love him. We begin to desire him. And and so as that takes place, you see, our minds change in the spirit of our minds. 
And we're being renewed. Yes, details. There'll be details of how we're to live. We've gone through a number of those details as I rehearsed early in this, uh, uh, this morning from the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. And I read the Ten Commandments and, and, and those are our commands, you see. In fact, one old preacher put it like this. He says, if you go to God and you say, what's your will for my life? What pleases you? He'll say, read those ten things I said. And once you get a handle on that, we'll talk. Right? Because that's his will for us. We're to, that's what pleases him. He says, don't have any other gods before me. Don't worship him properly by making up gods on your own. You see? Uh, my name is to be hallowed, to be holy. My character is true and right and good. So don't take my name and use it in a way that disparages the truth of who I am. And understand, you see, that there's a, a relationship between rest and work. And I've wired you in such a way to take one day off in seven and to, to sit with the people of God and to worship me so that, so that everything gets back on track again. So you realize it's not about you, it's about me. It doesn't depend upon you, it depends upon me. And that you are to trust me and you're to sit and you're to worship me. So put off your work. I know that's hard for you Americans because you think everything that you, you are and everything that you have comes from your work. But put that aside. You even said that to the Israelites. You can trust me. Work six, that'll be fine. On the seventh one, just rest. Acknowledge me, give me thanks. And then he said in relationship with others, in your family life, with your husband and your wife, don't commit adultery, be faithful. Children, obey your parents. You see, love them. This is how I've established family life. So live this out. That's wisdom. That's my will. Live this out. To love your parents. To love your spouse. Don't kill each other. Figuratively or literally. Don't take from each other. Don't lie. Don't covet. When your neighbor has something that's good, be thankful that your neighbor has it. Don't desire that you have it so they don't, but be thankful, you see. That's how we're to live. That's what pleases me. Again, we get a handle on that, and we're way along the way of knowing what really pleases the Lord, what, what, he, what he loves. And so in this Romans passage, again, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our, of our minds. We know this. We know uh, from the scripture uh, from Deuteronomy and, and chapter 4. I think I read this last week. Almost done, by the way. Deuteronomy and chapter 4. Read this last week, verse 5. About the Ten Commandments. Moses says, um, See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people. Who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For a great nation is that it has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law is that I said before you today? So this is your wisdom. It's the very wisdom of God. Live, live like this, you see. Live like this. We know from Second Timothy in chapter 3 that the apostle writes that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good word. So we need this word. And so he says, we're to be renewed, if you will, by this word in our minds. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect by testing. That is by applying it. And he promises that if you apply this word, what you'll see is that it really is true. It really is good and acceptable and perfect. It really is the way of real life. To check your motives. Why do, why do I want this? Well, if you're afraid that somehow unless you know precisely the will of God in every circumstance, in every situation, and if you don't apply it, then you're going to miss God's best for you. Um, you need to take a step back and take a deep breath and realize that God is gracious and God is kind and he loves you. Now, the truth of the matter is, uh, uh, bad decisions can lead to sad consequences. But God forgives. And God leads. Don't think, I must be on plan B, or for some of us, on plan X, all the way down the road. No, 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 no. God has you. God has you. Trust him. Trust him. Seek him. And the reason that we want to have this information about the will of God is so that we can please him. Not so that we can look good. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves, though I hope you do but so that we can please him and be assured that he's at work in our lives. You say, well, how does this help me know who I'm to marry? (laughs) Will a name just sort of pop into my head? It might, but be careful. Don't tell her or him about that yet. Um, What does God say about marriage? does God say about marriage in the scripture? What are the general things he says about marriage? What, what does he say about you in terms of your own heart? Follow them. Be led by them. And then marry one who fits in the midst of this. Nothing that God ever leads us to will ever contradict his word. We can know that. So if you're led to lie, no. If you're led to be unfaithful, no. If you're led to slander or gossip, no. That isn't the leading of the Lord. If you're led to steal, no. That's not the leading of the Lord. If you're, if you're led to, for a corrupt word to come out of your mouth so that you can really harm someone with that word, no. That isn't it, you see. You know that. He'll always lead consistent with his, with his word. And so we come to him and we, we pray as... The psalmist puts, lead us in paths of righteousness. Or I'll end with this prayer from Paul in Colossians in chapter 1, he says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so when he's praying that, he's saying, now when I pray this for you, what I want you to do is be soaked in the scriptures. And pray this prayer. As you're soaking yourself in the scripture, as you're reading the scripture and you're thinking it through. He says, I want you to pray this prayer 
that this will fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's the purpose for it. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us that we would um, understand what the will of the Lord is. So I pray that you would cause us to increase in all spiritual wisdom and understanding as we study the scripture. As you renew our minds by word and spirit. As you enable us to know you. So that when we're making decisions, we'll know what pleases you. Father, I pray you work in our hearts, that it would be our heart's desire to please you. It may be that there are times when it's a hard thing for us to do that which we know you desire for us, to do that would please you. But still we pray that you would grant us grace that we, that we would do it. And we thank you for your wonderful decrees that we can count on the fact that a day will come when all things in heaven and earth will be united in Christ and we'll see it. And we know that we'll be with him. I pray you enable that to inform our lives to give us a real sense of security, a real sense of peace in the midst of the world that we, that we live in, that we won't get sucked in by the world's abundance, nor will we be so discouraged because of the difficulties that we face. But we can live in an understanding way because we know the will of the Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name.